Growing up in Billings, weekends frequently found my dad and I, often along with my younger brother, exploring all that the great Montana outdoors had to offer. Many days we'd just set out to take a drive, never exactly knowing where our travels were going to take us. Among our most memorable outings, some of them at least, were when we'd drive south from Billings into the Pryor Mountains. The Priors are an, an intriguing mountain range, most widely known for its wild horse population, which if you've ever seen those wild horses in the Priors, they're something spectacular. There's red dirt as far as the eye can see. The whole Pryor Mountains is made up of the stuff. And these crazy ice caves down there. And sure, we go to the ice caves several times, actually, but there are always lots of people there. So we ventured deeper and deeper and deeper into the priors, away from the people, traversing muddy jeep trails, all that red dirt turning slick as ice when it's water saturated. And one day, on one of those adventures, we happened to cross this conglomeration of mines in the middle of nowhere in the Prior Mountains. Of course, we found these mines and were incredibly curious about them. What kind of mines were they? How long had they been there? How deep into the ground did they go? Our first trip into those mines, one in particular, didn't take us very deep at all. Besides the question, is it even safe to be in here? We didn't have a flashlight with us, so we couldn't venture really any further than the light from the mine's entrance would allow us to. But on successive trips, we got more and more brave, more and more equipped, and we ventured deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, down and down and down and down and down. And those, ab man, uh, those abandoned mine shafts went crazy, crazy deep. The depths revealing more and more and more magnificent stuff down there. Mine shafts that were large enough to drive a car through would suddenly open up into these amazing, enormous natural caverns, big or as big or bigger than this room, the ceiling of which were covered with these twinkling purple crystals. Stunning. Now, when we first started going into these mines, we didn't know what they had been mining there. We eventually found out that it was uranium, which might explain a bit what's wrong with me. I'm radioactive. And it was dark down there. Oh my goodness, dark. Often we'd just stop, turn off all of our lights, hundreds of feet beneath the surface of the earth, and we'd experience dark like I'd never experienced it before, like inky dark, can't see your hand in front of your face kind of dark, the kind of darkness that you can feel. And we took some great photos down there in the pitch dark. Here's one that my dad took of me. There's no lights on, hundreds of feet underground. There I am. Here's another one. This one's of my brother and me, both. Just barely make out our outlines. There. Sorry, it was really dark, and I'm really sorry. Hard to see. It was dang, dang dark down there. And what's true is that most people don't intentionally seek out dark places to hang out in, do they? Sure, a dark room is better for sleeping for some people, but not for everyone, not a requirement for everyone. Those who are overly attracted to the dark frequently get called names, don't they? Freak, goth, Raiders fans. Because really, most people spend most of their lives doing everything they can to eliminate the dark, not plunge headlong into it. But as hard as people may try to eliminate the darkness, reality is that most people, at some point along life's journey, the darkness finds you. 
whether you like it or not, whether you want to go there or not. And the next thing you know, the inky black has enveloped you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Seasons when all you can do is stare into the murky darkness of your fear and frustration and grief and confusion, and you can't see a doggone thing. Dark and quiet is all there is. Maybe for you it's an addiction issue. Addiction has swept you up, and no matter how hard you try, no matter how bad you want to be done and free and through and well, addiction just swallows you up. All you see is dark. Maybe you've been fighting with everything in you to keep your marriage afloat. Maybe you've been asking, begging, pleading God for a powerful reconciliation, but all you see is pitch black. Maybe for you it's been a season of waiting, long season of waiting for the return of a wandering child, waiting for a negative test result, like finally, or perhaps for you it's about a positive test result, finally, waiting a long, long time for somebody to keep the promise that they made to you. And yet for you, for all the waiting and for all the prayers, all there is is a more and deeper darkness, and it just swallows you up. Maybe you've given your career path to God as best you know how to, again and again and again. But the looming reality for you is that the thing that you thought you were going to be able to do, the thing that you hoped and prayed and trained to do, is vanishing in the rearview mirror, and it is so, so dark. And whatever the cause or the reason or the source of the darkness that envelops your soul at one point or another in your life, everyone generally asks the same question in the midst of it. The question is, where's God? Where's God in the pitch black when I can't see a thing and I'm on my hands and knees crawling because I don't want to stub my toe? It's all I can do. Where's God then exactly? And I'm going to answer the question that a whole bunch of people ask in the midst of the darkness right now so you don't have to wait for it. And then we're going to take the rest of the time we have together suggesting that there's way, way more happening in the darkness than we've ever even imagined. So where is God in the darkness? He's there. Right there. As close as your next breath. There. And I know some of you hear that and you go, well... Sure doesn't feel like he's there. Feels like I'm way out on some limb somewhere all by myself. I know. But no matter how it feels, it's just simply true that God is aware of all of your circumstances. And not only is he aware of your circumstances, but he's actually moving among them. God is absolutely aware of your pain and he's actually standing with you in it. It's also true that God's keenly aware of the gnawing emptiness inside of you and he wants to fill it up to the point of overflowing because he knows your wounds, he knows your scars, he knows your hang-ups and he knows just the healing touch that you're desperately searching for, which is all to say that even in the dark, when it's so black that you can't even see your hand in front of your face, when there's nothing but darkness, when all seems lost, when all feels like it's slipping out of control, alone and afraid, God's there. And God is very, very much at work, 
way, way more busy in the midst of your darkness than any of us see, know, or even understand. And just to prove that God's there, and just to prove that God's at work, even the midst of the very darkest darkness, Jesus himself, the Son of God, he took a very long walk into the dark. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And the backstory, the setup of this story, is that Jesus had just been dunked. He had just gotten baptized. They didn't call it dunking then, but he'd been baptized. This incredibly climactic moment in his life, it's sort of the inauguration of his ministry. Remember, the heavens, they broke open. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Not a butterfly, a dove. And God spoke audibly this is my dearly loved son who brings me such great joy and then look what happens next like like the next thing that happens then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil here's the interesting thing about God he doesn't think like we think does he And we imagine that the savior and deliverer of the world should go from his inauguration straight to some huge, big public initiative like, you know, slick marketing campaign and all. But look what the text says. Then Jesus, right on the heels of his baptism, his inauguration of sorts, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. That seems quite incongruent with what we think we know about God and Jesus and the way he works and what Jesus is supposed to be about. I mean, like really, Jesus just steps right into the dark, like switch off, dark, pitch black. And I thought some mine a few hundred feet under the surface of the earth was dark. It's nothing compared to the darkness that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit of God into for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry right world's greatest understatement right there during that time the devil came and said to him now some versions of the text render this that like after the season of prayer and fasting the NLT renders it this way during that time at some place over the span scholars argue it was near the end the devil came and said to him If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responds, The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Can you imagine what that view looked like? Wow. I'll give it all to you, he said. Quite a temptation. If you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And after all of that, the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. Do you understand that the entire ministry of the Savior of the world, the Messiah, 
the long-awaited Son of God, began in the pitch darkness of that desert season. And we sort of stand back and we're like, what in the world is going on with that? I'm going to tell you, it's all about, get this, preparation. It's all about preparation. His entire ministry was stretched out in front of him in that season, in the desert, in the darkness. And it was all about, every last bit of it was about his soul being prepared. His spirit being ready for all of the events that were to come, especially the cross. Get ready, Jesus. Because that's what's coming. That's what's looming out ahead of you. You think about how Israel wandered in the desert darkness for how long? Not just 40 days, 40 years before they were prepared spiritually to begin their tasks in the promised land. Jesus does just the same, a season of preparation. And you notice right in verse one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of darkness by virtue of some circumstance, right? Something that's sort of afflicted upon us, something happens to us, something goes badly, sideways, haywire, however you want to say it, and click, the lights go out, right? There we are, in the pitch dark. It's sort of forced on us some of the time. But understand that Jesus' desert darkness It wasn't forced upon him by any kind of circumstance, was it? Rather, he was quite intentionally led there into the dark, led into the dark by none other than the Holy Spirit of God. And I know for a whole bunch of people, this totally messes with our view of God and how he works, doesn't it? So many people, so much of the time, have this view of God that he only leads us into really nice, happy places, Green pastures, quiet waters, kinds of places. But here we see the Holy Spirit of God totally upend that view. Blows it just right out of those peaceful, quiet waters. He intentionally leads Jesus into one of the gnarliest experiences of his entire life. Now traditional views hold that this season of desert darkness for Jesus was for the purpose, get this, of putting Jesus in the weakest position possible before Satan comes to him to tempt him. It was like the plan of God to weaken him, starve him, leave him all alone in the wilderness, put him at his most vulnerable place, and then Satan would come to him. But have you ever considered that Jesus' season of desert darkness, that place of solitude and deprivation and fear and perhaps even confusion, might have actually been the place of, get this, strength and strengthening for him? Ever thought about that? And have you ever thought about this, that just as the Spirit led Jesus into the darkness of the desert, watch this, that God may too lead you and I into the darkness That God may too lead you and I into the darkness to ensure that we, just like Jesus, are prepared in the very best way possible for all that he has for us in the future. Ever thought about that? And let's take the uncomfortable questions 
a bit further? What if the darkness that you're walking through right now Or what if the darkness that you just came through, or what if the darkness that you see looming just up ahead, what if it isn't just about circumstances? What if it isn't just about things going sideways or haywire or off the rails, whatever you want to call it? What if the darkness isn't just, well, life happens kind of stuff? Rather, what if it's part of the intentional and purposeful leading of God into that season of desert darkness? just like Jesus experienced for the same reason, exact same reason that Jesus experienced it. What if? What if the darkness that you're wandering through right now is all about the preparation of your soul for what he has, kingdom bringing opportunity he has for you in the future or even right now? What if? Ever thought about that? St. John of the Cross, who wrote in the 16th century, he actually gave a name to this preparative kind of darkness that Jesus experienced out in the desert. He calls it the dark night of the soul. Ever heard that expression before? The dark night of the soul. Now I know its name sounds like someplace that you'd rather never find yourself. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that it's actually quite a welcoming experience. Something quite akin to a sick person welcoming a medical procedure, a surgery that offers on the other side of its invasiveness the promise of health and well-being in a like finally kind of way. As St. John of the Cross described it, very often we consider the darkness we sometimes find ourselves in to be punitive, an affliction of some kind. But he says that's to misunderstand what God is doing in us when it's him who leads us into the darkness. He's not punishing you. Rather than constrain, the dark night of the soul is actually for the purpose of setting us free. It's like an appointment with the divine, almighty God inviting you, beckoning you at the level of your soul to draw more near to him than you who have ever drawn before. People ask what a dark night of the soul feels like. Well, it feels quite dry, quite alone, quite lost, quite confusing. Some of you right now are going, boy, that sounds like a load of fun. Sign me up, right? And we think that way because conventional wisdom tells us that experiences like that are to be avoided at all costs. Because for so many people, they think that God only intends for us to live in peace and comfort and joy all of the time. Woo! Richard Foster calls that, though, surface slush. Simply not the case. When you look at the dark night of the soul, isn't it easy? When you understand the nature and character of our God, isn't it easy to envision God quite benevolently taking us into the darkness by the hand so that he may work a hush across your soul? A stillness unlike any you could manufacture via any other means so that he may prepare what needs preparing in us. And I'm telling you, there's a kind of rugged intensity to this kind of darkness. 
feelings leave almost entirely. There's a sense that your prayers are bouncing right off the ceiling, never even making it to the ears of God. Physical, emotional, psychological, even spiritual senses, they're just quiet, flatline. And it's really as though every distraction of mind, body, spirit are set into a sort of suspended animation so that the deep and preparative work God desires to invoke upon our soul can occur. Another medical analogy is very, very fitting. It's a bit like when you have to go have surgery. What we all know about surgery is that the anesthesia must take full effect before the surgeon can ever pick up the scalpel and make the first incision, at least we hope. And it isn't any kind of picnic. Not at all. I'll never forget one season of the dark night of the soul in my life some years back. And see, there's a propensity in this kind of darkness to try to get free from its bonds. You just want to cast it off. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I found myself almost flailing about brutally searching for the thing that was causing the inner dullness that was so stinging to me. And after a few months of this sort of flailing about, the only place I could ever land was in one of saying, God, thank you so much for whittling away all of the distractions that were keeping me from seeing you with absolute crystal clarity. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because sure, you can chafe and you can fight against the darkness or you can be still and wait for God to do what only God can do. Often in a season of the dark night of the soul, friends will accuse you of wandering far from God. They'll say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you snap out of this? They'll tell you that you're just not praying enough, that you're just not reading your Bible enough. Get with it. Gone. But understand that in a true dark night of the soul, a darkness that the Lord has led you into for the purpose of preparing you for something that is to come, that is not at all the issue doesn't have anything to do with you not being spiritual enough, seeking God enough. It, it's not. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10 speaks to this. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. There's this sense in which it's very, very, very possible, probable even, for you to trust in God, obey God, fear God, rely on God, and still be walking in darkness without a ray of light. Jesus did. It happened to him as he fasted in the desert darkness, and the same exact thing can be true of us because the darkness of the dark night of the soul that God leads us into prepares us for the good that God has in mind for us to join him in doing. It's all preparative. It's all about what he's doing. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's quite right there, quite active, quite busy. Because you see, he wants for every single one of us, every single one of us, to be in the best possible spiritual condition for the kingdom service that he's inviting you and I to join him in doing. Let's go. 
I've seen this borne out again and again and again in my own life, that God will have me go from the darkness of the desert straight into kingdom-bringing work. Desert darkness is never an end unto itself. It's all about God preparing us for what he has for us up ahead. That's how it worked with Jesus. The heading of the very next next section in my Bible after Jesus' experience of the dark night of the soul, Matthew chapter 4, desert temptation, all of that. The very next heading in my Bible says this. This isn't scripture, but I think it's quite illustrative. The ministry of Jesus begins. So he goes from this desert, wandering, darkness, night of the soul to bam, the ministry of Jesus begins. And in our way of thinking, we go, geez, holy cow. It seems after that kind of darkness, that kind of challenge, that kind of temptation, that kind of surgery that the desert darkness brings that a person would like deserve a break, right? You deserve a break today, a vacation, an umbrella drink, maybe five even. Some R&R, but no. Because most of the time, understand that the desert darkness is about preparing us. God's preparing us for what he has for us up ahead. He's preparing you. He's getting you ready. And Jesus steps right into it from the desert darkness, being tempted by the devil himself, not an agent of the devil, the devil himself, he goes straight from there to Galilee. Now the angels attended to him, yes, but he went straight from there to Galilee, Luke chapter four, starting in verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He went to church and he stood up to read the scriptures. They called on him to read the scriptures. Hey, you should read these scriptures, hometown boy, you're back. And the scroll of Isaiah, no accident, the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. God has serious kingdom of God bringing work for Jesus to be about. And God's saying to Jesus, let's go. Here it is. And God sent Jesus to live out the greatest rescue mission that humanity has ever seen, the restoration of humanity, you and me, back to him, back to right relationship with him. And what's true, beyond the shadow of any doubt, is that God's sending you and me on that exact same rescue mission. Folks, we're his rescue team, meant to live out his rescue mission every single day of our lives. Bring good news to the poor. Proclaim that the captives will be released. The blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. That the time of the Lord's favor has come. And this darkness that we often wander in is getting us ready for that. And so please, don't chafe, don't bristle, don't try to cast it off. Because very, very often, it's God 
leading us into the dark for the purpose of preparing us for this fantastic world-changing rescue mission that he's set every one of us on. He's getting you ready. He's getting me ready. He's getting us ready. And often that preparedness only happens in the dark. We take your stuff and set it aside and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a posture of prayer and reflection with the Lord. Maybe for some of us, you've just come through a season of darkness. You've just stepped out into the light. And you're so glad to be out of it. But here's the question. If it was a true dark night of the soul, if God actually led you into it, if it just wasn't circumstantial, What's the kingdom of God impact that God's asking you to have now that you've stepped into the light? What is it? Maybe you didn't see the darkness as preparation. But now perhaps with a bit of reflection and hearing from the Lord, you're understanding it to have been preparative. And now that you're on the other side of it, you hear God's invitation beckoning to you to live on his rescue mission. What's that look like for you in the place you're in right now? How is the kingdom of God bigger, wider, more expansive because of the preparation that God's done in you for this moment? How are you leveraging that? How are you speaking boldly and unashamedly of Jesus in that? How are you displaying the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in that? It's all about you living on his rescue mission right now. And then perhaps for others of us, you're in the midst of the darkness and it's inky. You just want it to be overdone. You want to be through and standing in the light and I get it. But what if with some new lenses you could see it as preparative? You could see and understand this heart surgery, this soul surgery that Jesus is doing on you as being vital 
This isn't just surface slush kind of stuff. This is him getting at the heart, the core, the crux of you. Because he's got preparative work for what's ahead for you. I know this is a difficult thing to ask, but what if you just said, in the midst of the darkness, a very simple prayer. Lord, have your way with me. There's a lot loaded up in those very few words. Lord, have your way with me. But if he's getting you ready, that's just you declaring to him that you want to be as ready as you possibly can be. Lord, have your way with me. Get me as ready and get me as prepared as you want and need for me to be because there's something coming. Lord, have your way with me. And then maybe for some others of us today, this may be in part about you believing on Jesus as the light of the world once and for all. Believing on him, the Savior, who took your judgment so that you could be set free from wandering forever in the darkness of your sin. He says you don't have to. And so if that's you today, you can take the very bold step of crossing the line of faith in him. And you can do that by praying with me right now. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. I've blown it more ways and more times than I can even count. But you know. You really know. And God, right now, this is me, by faith, gratefully receiving your gift of salvation. You're everything I need. I don't need anything more. I just need you. And I need you to be my Savior, and I'm trusting you as my Savior. Here I am, Jesus. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. I trust you, Jesus, with my everything. And today, if you're someone who's crossing the line of faith in Jesus, that's the biggest deal in your whole life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. And it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they make that decision. And this is a private deal. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. If you prayed with me just then to cross the line of faith in Jesus, would you just be really bold and really brave right now? And would you just slip your hand up right where you are and lock eyes with me? You can do that, yeah, in the back, yes, sir, way to go, absolutely. And yeah, you, right there, little sweetie, yes. And you too in the back, yeah, yes, sir, absolutely. And you too, both of you, sir and ma- yeah, way to go, yes, absolutely. He's the light of the world, there, in the back, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes, sir. He's the light of the world. And Jesus, we praise and thank you for these who are stepping into the light of you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
Thank you that none of us have to be destined to wandering in the dark forever and ever, that you can scoop us up out of our mess and set us in a new place, and that's where we want to stand. The new place is you. We want to stand on you, Jesus. And Jesus, this is a difficult thing for us to say. But we welcome, Jesus, the darkness. Because we want to be ready. We want to be ready for your great rescue mission. And so, Jesus, get us ready. We avail our whole selves to you. We say nothing else matters. We live and move and have our breath in you and for you, Jesus. Make us ready and send us out. We love you and we trust you and we're all about the preparation that you're doing in us, Jesus. We're all about it. Have your way with us.